calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. The Astrea Trilogy Written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Three, The Wanderer's Curse. Chapter Seven, in which Astraea's anger causes problems. Wakey, wakey, wakey! The familiar shout brought Astraea to his feet beside his bed before he remembered that he was no longer at sea. With ferocious good humor, Cam continued to urge him to get up and dressed. When Damon and Arneb grumbled, he informed them with the moral superiority of an early riser that he had been working in the kitchen since before dawn. As they left the cottage, Estrella paused to admire how the morning sunlight glowed on the tall brick chimneys of the building the women called the home. Long shadows still darkened most of the ground within the high earthworks, and the grass was wet with dew on either side of the path that led to the kitchen door. Wisps of fog curled overhead, bringing with them the scents of the seashore beyond the grassy berm that encircled the home. He was just about to choose an angle suitable for a sketch when Arneb and Damon caught up with him, and they all headed for the kitchen. Once they were inside, smells of cooking replaced the soft outdoor scents, and Estrella realized that he was hungry. At one end of the kitchen two women were preparing food at a generous fireplace bracketed by half-round oven doors, from which came the smell of new bread. Cam introduced them to Eileen, and then waved them to sit at the table which was now officially theirs, where he served them a breakfast better than anything Estrella had eaten since the cooking of the widow Amy. There were boiled eggs, slices of bacon, and a mound of fresh rolls with butter, with preserved blueberries, raspberries, and strawberries to spread on them. They sipped at mugs of a hot drink infinitely more palatable than what passed for tea aboard Cygnus. "'With food like this it's amazing they aren't fat as butter,' said Damon around a mouthful of roll, as he watched for Bronwyn to enter the kitchen. "'That's because we work for our living,' said Cat, appearing suddenly through the door behind them that led to the rest of the home. "'And now—' You'll all be doing your share. Except you, Arneb. You're to go to the infirmary, where Agatha will change your dressings. Sarah will find you there when you're done. Estrella, you come with me. What about Cam and me? Damon asked, his eyes still on Bronwyn. Cam's working in the kitchen, and Justin will be here to fetch you soon. Come, Estrella, we have deliveries to make. He stood and followed her, feeling somewhat relieved that he was not the only one being ordered about. Cat paused beside the kitchen fire, where four woven baskets waited on a bench. She picked up two of them and indicated that Estrella should take the others. As he collected his pair, Estrella again smelled fresh bread, this time from under the cloths that concealed their contents. Estrella followed her out the door into the sunlight, and then stopped a few paces along the path, arrested by vivid splinters of coloured light flaring from the dewdrops on the grass. He shook his head, felt tears splash onto his cheeks, and rubbed them away, embarrassed lest anyone see. Cat noticed that he was not with her, darted back several steps, plucked at his sleeve, and when he moved walked by his side, her sleek dark hair only a little higher than his elbows. Disconcertingly, he did not know how long he had been standing staring, until Cat had recalled him to what they were doing. If she wondered at his lapse of attention, she did not mention it. 
First stop is where the three eldest live. That's that little house over there near the gates. In a few strides, they were at the doorstep, where she double-knocked twice. We don't go in, she continued, because Cassie has heard us coming, and she'll take in the baskets before she gets the old girls out of bed. We'll leave both of yours and one of mine. That's right. Now, on we go, out the gates. They followed a path beaten into the sandy earth by human feet and horses' hooves, toward a gap in the defensive earthworks. Astrea looked for gates, such as had enclosed the castle, and seeing none was about to ask why. Then, as they walked into the shade of the gap, he saw the answer. Eight or ten logs, one above the other, protruded from one side and pointed across the gap to dark holes on the other side. This gate had no hinges, locks, or bars. How do you close it, um, them? Pulleys and slides, she replied. One of Justin's inventions. The bottom log slides across the ground and into the far side of the gateway. On top it's grooved. Next log slides in the groove, which is greased, and then the next, until they're like a wall. As they came out of the shadow, Estrella paused again, this time in the middle of the road that wound toward the gate in tight curves, making it impossible to approach directly without slowing down. Ahead of them, down a steep bank over twice a man's height, lay a meadow where more than a dozen cows were grazing stomach-deep in tall grass. In the distance, sunlight winked on a stream that flowed down to broaden into a little lake skirted by a raised dike with forested hills in the distance. Estrella gazed, planning how he would paint what he saw. Hmm, an underlay of pale green laid down side to side in the foreground. Touch the tips of the brush in a stronger colour and flick vertical suggestions of the tall grass. Rich brown for the cow's backs. Catch the sparkle on the water by leaving white spaces in a blue wash. Then do the dike in greys and blues. Then misty green with a hint of blue for the far hills against clouds building in the north. Then return to touch in yellows and golds where the leaves are beginning to turn, and then a confusion of two-note calls came down the wind from a skein of wild geese flying overhead. He smiled, mentally inserting the line of birds into his imaginary picture. He did not see Cat watching him speculatively. First flight, she said. Summer's almost done. Memories of wild geese above the village rose unbidden in his mind, and Estrella again felt his eyes prickle. He shook his head as he turned to follow her. When she glanced at him and spoke, he wondered if she knew that this time his concentration had been deliberate, unlike his earlier lost moments spent hypnotized by the light shattered through the dewdrops. Estrella looked at her as she tilted her head to see into his eyes. Off to the left you come to a dam and then the road winds up into the hills. We're going right. Cat, he began, and then hesitated, you don't look like the other women here at Mattress. Do you mean that I'm not very tall, or that I have dark hair like yours? Um, it would be the hair that I meant. I'm a late arrival. We got here about eighteen years ago. Mattress needed a healer, so we stayed. And is he? He's not here any more. Cat turned her head away and quickened her stride. Recognizing that she was not going to continue, Estrella followed her in silence, wondering how any man would want to leave such a vibrant person. And then he thought of the disdain with which Adramin had spoken of women, and the discomfiture of Damon at being in a community not led by men. Perhaps Cat's partner, husband, lover, had simply been unable to adjust. Estrella was puzzled by some of the customs and attitudes he was seeing, but did not feel distressed by them. He shrugged and hurried to catch up with Cat's quick pace. At first the road ran eastwards, curving away from the earthwork defences, then turned north and climbed gently onto a low ridge. Big old elm trees lined the road at irregular intervals, as if they were the remnants of a careful planting many years before. 
Through some of the wider gaps, a stone's throw from where they walked, Estrella saw rectangular patches of ground where nothing grew but grass and weeds. It was not until he saw the unmistakable shape of a broken chimney that he knew they were passing tumbled-in cellars of what had been houses. Then the road leveled and swung northward. To the east, a barely-used track continued on downhill into marshy land punctuated by the occasional dead tree. Across the swamp, a stand of cedar and pine climbed a low rise where a gap in the trees suggested that the track continued toward rocky hills in the distance. Within the bend of the road stood a cottage unlike anything Astrea had ever seen. It was framed by huge trees, and surrounded by a riot of flowers, vegetables, and weeds all run to seed. Its ramshackle roof was a maze of angles and peaks, the tallest of which reared up to top a porch above a disproportionately tall door, flanked by half-round windows, set close to the ground and overhung by arched sections of the low roof. Astrea guffawed, and Cat looked up at him swiftly. It's like a face. It's as if the mouth and chin had been buried in the earth, and just a nose and a pair of eyes looked out from under a crazy hat. I suppose so, said Cat, again looking keenly into his eyes. Estrella looked back, relieved that this time he did not have to blink back tears. She smiled and continued cheerfully. Now you're going to meet Abel Hawkins. Abel's lived so long he's forgotten that he has to die. We know he's at least ninety, and maybe more. At least, that's what he claims when he's reminiscing about before. And he still lives alone. We bring him his food every day, and tidy him up a bit when he lets us. She led the way to the tall door on which she knocked vigorously. "'Come!' said a firm voice within. They went into a single room no less eccentric than the outside of the house. Dust hung in the air along sunbeams coloured green and blue by the bottle-glass of the low windows. What light there was slanted onto a floor carpeted with mats, woven from different colours and thicknesses of rope. As his eyes accustomed to the gloom, Estrella saw that he was standing beside one of several wooden poles set randomly into the floor, none of them quite straight. At their tops were rafters, some running up to a massive central chimney of fieldstone, others slanting downwards to the low walls. Estrella recalled childhood memories of being under a dark, heavy tent he'd made of an old blanket held up by sticks. "'Who are you, and what you're looking at, young feller?' Estrella suddenly noticed that what he had taken for a pile of clothes drying on a chair in front of the fire was actually a man, swathed in many coats that had once been various shades of green and brown, but which were now mostly grey with age and wear. One was wrapped backwards around his waist and fell over his knees to the floor, covering most of a low stool. Two were haphazardly buttoned to themselves and each other across the man's stomach. Thin strands of yellow-white beard straggled across his chest, rising to a thick bush that obscured the lower half of his face. Two pale blue eyes peered at Estrella from under straggly white eyebrows. "'I've brought you a visitor, Abel.' "'Who's that talking?' "'It's Cat, Abel.' "'Did you bring me meal?' "'Hot pot and fresh bread. I'll warm it up for you.' Cat opened the last basket and removed a small iron pot, which she slid into the ashes of a dwindling fire. "'Where's me meat? A man needs meat, not them there girly vegetables. You'll like it. Is this your young feller? He's his own self, Abel. He's from away. So, young feller, you here to find yourself a squeeze from one of them young girls? Estrella blushed and attempted to deflect the old man's line of inquiry. My name is Estrella. Starts with an A, like me. That's good. Now then, you stoke up that fire for me, and we'll talk. Estrella took a split log from a pile of firewood set against the side of the chimney, and then knelt to blow at the coals. When the wood he had added was burning, he sat on his heels and looked up into the seamed and furrowed lines around Abel's old eyes. I'm told that you know about before. Hmm, before. 
Oh, I remember it myself. Not like those folk who make up stories. What was it like before? I mean, what happened? Before wasn't like it is now. Ships going up and down the coast, all kinds of stuff to buy and sell. And women. Not bossy like that there Janus. They was fine back then. Shining hair. Like cat here. Smelled good, too. Were you married? Me? Uh, not likely. But I always liked women. He still does, says Cat, and spooned food onto a plate and handed it to him. Too right. Especially the young ones, like you. Flatterer? The old eyes crinkled at the corners. Always work for me. Not here it doesn't. Ah, uh, that's what you think. That's what I know. Then anything I would be telling would be boasting about what never happened. Estrella watched the banter between the two of them, feeling sure that this conversation had been held many times before. You were a sailor. A spoonful of hot pot turned sideways in his gnarled hand, and most of it ran into his beard. Cat wiped him clean, and all three of them ignored the accident. Ran away to sea when I was a nipper. Me pa tried to bring me back, but it was too late. Signed on, I was. No getting around that. Estrella wanted to ask if Abel had been a man of the sea, but Cat's presence at the old man's shoulder made him hesitate. What was the name of your ship? Star of the Sea. That were me first real ship. Afore that it was coasters and fishboats and river ferries, anything that would take me aboard and not tell me pa. But Stella, she were one to remember she were. And we had some fun, I can tell you. I'd rather you didn't, said Cat. Estrella looked into the moist old eyes and saw one of Abel's eyelids flicker. Were there towns back then? Estrella asked. All kinds of them. Marvellous great buildings. Harbours filled with ships. So many of them you'd think you were in a floating city. City of the sea? Never heard of that one. But again one eyelid flickered. How did it all end? I mean, how did before become after? Pretty much the lot went wrong. Mostly I remember the weather. For instance, one time we was ashore for a refit. New suit of sails for Stella. Buy her some new stays. Smack her on the bottom a few times. Clean out her. Cat wiped his lips firmly with a cloth, cutting off whatever he might have said. He waved his hands ineffectually and mumbled. Then, when he opened his mouth to speak again, she inserted a spoonful of vegetables and gravy. Abel's jaw worked in a circular motion as he mumbled his food into position between his few remaining teeth. He stared at Estrella and then looked away, finished chewing his mouthful and swallowed. Terrible storms! And between them calms what lasted for weeks and then turned to hurricanes. Crops failed. Seas rose. Compass went all funny. Folk took sick and died, especially in the cities. Them that could hit out for the country, leaving nobody to bury the corpses. And nobody would take them aboard, cause they would have scared of getting the sickness. Them's as were left to shore were starving. Them's as weren't dying were fighting over what food was left. Smart ones, like me, headed for the new islands. Aboard the Stella? Aboard your ship? No chance. I wasn't putting me name on paper next to words like shun the land's corruption forevermore. Once bitten, twice shy. I'd signed on for five years the first time, and we everything going to hell in a handcart, there was no way I'd go back to serve the men in black. Nah. I worked me way north, along the coast, then got across the rip, and found me way here, where I signed on as a handyman. Been here ever since. Then you must have seen— I've seen a lot, young feller, and there's a lot of it I don't talk about, least not with this girl here to report back. I'm a woman, not a girl. I've never reported to anyone, and I'm not about to start. Then I won't tell you anything that you'd need to keep secret. Tell me more about before, Estrella asked, but he was too late. The old man's eyes had closed, and a faint snore came out of his half-open mouth.
That was quick, Estrella whispered. Is he all right? He's tired, what with eating and talking more than he usually says in a week. You were good for him. Most of the time he just tries to flirt with me for a bit and then sogs off to sleep. I suppose I should be flattered, but it does get a bit tedious. They left the cottage quietly and returned through the tangled garden toward the road. Agatha will be along in a bit. She'll wash him and straighten things up, and he'll complain a lot. That's how we know he's all right. The day he doesn't find something wrong, we'll know he's just about done. Now I have to go back to look after Arneb's stitches. You head along the road a little bit further, and in a couple of hundred paces you'll see the house where Justin lives with the lads. You should catch them as they're finishing breakfast. What should I... Estrella began. Meet them. Talk to them. Work with them. Off you go. She gave him a little push on his shoulder with both of her small hands, then turned and walked back the way they had come, where the tall chimneys of the home rose above the green earthworks. Estrella watched her until her ankle-length blue dress seemed to drift in the air above the roadway, her feet moving so swiftly that they were invisible. Then he turned and walked between huge elm-trees, whose foliage met and mingled high above him, dappling the red earth road with moving slivers of light. Though the boughs above him were still green, his feet crunched on the dead leaves of late summer. He had not gone far before the tunnel of elms ended at eight smooth-barked beech-trees, bigger than any Astrea had ever seen. Four to each side of the approach track, they framed the house of three stories. For a second time that morning he thought of a face, except that this one had two pairs of dark eyes under a peaked black hat of a roof. A bow-fronted entrance over the square mouth of the doorway was shaped like a long grey nose. A triple chin of wide stairs splayed out towards the road. Fretwork ornamentation above the eaves and windows gave the impression of hair, and the wooden cladding had weathered to a soft grey, suggesting aged flesh. Only a thin plume of smoke above the roof-line gave evidence of life within, but as he walked slowly closer along the path, Astrea saw fresh, earthy footmarks on the steps. The front door was partly open, allowing him to hear the sound of feet running down a long flight of stairs. Then there was a brief pause followed by a loud thud as their owner jumped the last two or three at the bottom. The noise was hollow, as if the house was empty. The door slammed fully open, a young man ran out and came to a surprised stop at the head of the steps, where he looked down on Astrea. Three steps below, Astrea looked up at unruly brown hair, framing an oval face with dark eyebrows. A youthful moustache sprouted somewhat unevenly above a wide mouth. The lad wore faded brown breeches that extended up his chest in a bib, which covered the front of his grey, full-sleeved shirt. He was already strong-looking, promising that he would be formidable when he reached his maturity. A voice from inside the house called out an indistinct question, and the young man half turned his head to shout a reply. "'It's one of the newcomers, the one with the black hair. So, stranger, what's your name?' "'Astrea. Smart ass. I'm not the stranger here. You are.' "'My name is Astrea. A-S-T-R-E-Y-A. Wow! You can spell. Anything else?' Piqued by the sarcasm, Astrea replied without thinking, R-U-D-E. Huh, rude. Oh, I get it. You seduce my cousin, and then you get her to bring you to mattress where I, where I, where, and then you tell me I'm rude? I haven't seduced anybody. Cat asked me to come here to find Justin. Something about meeting and talking but you and I are arguing instead. Suppose we start again. My name is Estrella. What's yours? Max. The two looked into each other's eyes, but neither saw any sign of friendship. So, will you be going when the baby's born? What are you talking about? You heard the rules. Don't tell me you're going to stay in Matris. There isn't any baby. You mean you haven't? Then who? As far as I know, 
Australia began as calmly as he could. "'What do you mean, as far as I know? Lindy's cut her hair for someone, and you're saying it's not for you, so now you're saying that she's a slut!' Australia was suddenly angry. "'Your cousin is not a slut. Show her some respect.' "'Respect! Respect this!' Max leaped off the top step, kicking at Estrella's head. Estrella ducked and swung up an arm, lifting the back of Max's heel as it passed over him. Not having connected, Max lost his balance and fell down the steps out of control. He hit the ground on one shoulder, rolled, tucked, and with one hand on the ground, kicked in a low, scything arc. Estrella saw the blow almost before it began, and had time to step back out of range. Twirled completely around from the momentum of his kick, Max recovered, and then exploded up from his crouch. He charged at Estrella's stomach like a bull, his head lowered. Estrella stepped aside with almost contemptuous ease. Instead of ramming into Estrella's stomach, Max tripped and sprawled face downwards. This time he got to his feet more slowly, dabbing at his bleeding nose with the back of his hand. "'Max, you're making a fool of yourself!' Estrella turned to see Justin walking towards the house, with Damon beside him. "'He tripped me,' said Max. "'Nonsense,' said Justin. "'You tripped yourself. Now go clean yourself up and prepare the horses.' Damon, walking beside Justin, said nothing, but he caught Estrella's eye, grinned and clapped silently. "'He started it.' "'Did not, Max.' Estrella turned again and saw three young boys, all wore the same bib-fronted work breeches. The tallest of the three boys spoke first, and the other two chimed in. "'We saw it all. He's quicker than you, Max!' Max glared, concentrating his wrath on Estrella. "'I'm going for the horses!' He strode off, quickly disappearing down the road toward the home. Estrella stood looking at Justin and Damon, aghast at how quickly his anger had mastered him. As his pulse slowly returned to normal, he was acutely conscious that he had just made an enemy. "'Come inside,' said Justin. "'Cat told me last night that you'd be along. Come on in, and we'll pick up food for midday.' Estrella climbed the steps and went in through the tall black door, Damon a pace behind him. Inside he stopped in surprise. A wide hallway with doors on each side led to a magnificent wooden staircase. The stairs started wide, and then narrowed as they rose up to a broad landing a little more than a head high, where they split into two and curled back on themselves toward both sides of the upper floor, where they met a U-shaped balcony that looked down at where Estrella stood. The stair-treads were all made of dark wood, bowed at the centre where countless feet had worn them down. On either side the banisters gleamed with fresh varnish on blonde wood, that swooped down in graceful shining curves, ending in fiddlehead carvings above the last of a line of dark brown bottle-shaped railings. Estrella tipped his head back to look at the balcony above him on both sides. Doors made of golden wood led to rooms on either side of the house. He was marvelling at the age and richness of the woodwork when he noticed that someone had recently been at work sanding and polishing the upstairs banisters. Higher still, a domed ceiling caught his attention. "'Very fine, isn't it?' Justin said. "'We're gradually bringing it back to life. We think that some sea captain must have built the house from wood he'd collected in his travels, because nothing like that gold or black stuff grows around here.' "'Magnificent!' said Estrella, his mouth still open as he looked up. The dome high above him was ringed by a flower of bright light, each of seven petals made of small triangular windows that were dimmed by dust and dirt, but still gleaming. Between the windows were more triangles of wood or plaster, from which peeling grey paint hung down like dead leaves. For an instant Estrella was back in the hall at the castle, looking upwards at the dome on which he and Gar had worked. "'How old is it?' Damon asked. "'The house? It was standing empty when the first families got here.' What happened to the people who built it? They died, or were killed, same as those who built the home. It all happened before. Why aren't there any of the other houses still standing? Justin shrugged. 
Was anything painted on that ceiling? Estrella asked. We can't tell. Someday we'll get ladders up there, clean the glass and the paint, and see if there's anything underneath. But as you can imagine, restoring the house eats up a lot of time, and everyday chores come first. And uh, building rockfall defences, Damon added. That too, replied Justin, his frown deepening. Now, come on into the back where we live. He led the way past the staircase and on through to a big kitchen lit by tall windows on two sides. At the far end, a fire flickered in a fireplace equipped with a wrought-iron gate from which dangled a blackened kettle. Down the middle of the room was a long table scrubbed white, where two even younger boys looked up from spooning what Estrella guessed was porridge. The three who had observed the brief fight burst past him on either side and began recounting what they had seen to the astonished pair at the table. Estrella caught a few words. Moved so fast we didn't see. Max did his spin kick. Missed completely. The stranger sidestepped. Max charged. Flat on his face. Estrella and Damon, this is David, Andy, and Mark. These two are Jim and Adam, the twins. Jim's the one in green, Adam's in blue. Uh, unless they've swapped their clothes again. You've met Max. I'm really sorry about that, Estrella began. He wanted to add, I don't know what came over me, but the words were too true and at the same time too weak. Max has a temper. He'll soon forget about it. Estrella heard Mark whisper to David, About Lindy? Not likely, David began to explain. Before Lindy went away, Max was sweet on her. So when she came back with more than one man, they're cousins, and that means Max has been muttering about teaching a lesson to whoever. They'd have sad little babies who don't grow up right, like Sarah's girls. But then, so's just about everybody. But we're fine. It's the really close relatives. I'm not like that. Me neither. And so, when you tried to be nice, they were lucky. You can't rely on luck. That's why cousins shouldn't. Max took it all wrong, as usual. Estrella looked from one to the other, trying to cobble sense together out of the overlapping voices. You both know how to use an axe? Justin asked. Estrella and Damon nodded. Then join us. The equinox is tomorrow night, and there's still firewood to cut for the winter. Estrella and Damon exchanged glances, shrugged, and nodded agreement. David presented them with a leather shoulder bag each, which they loaded with bread, cheese, and apples from big wooden bowls at one end of the kitchen table. Then they followed Justin's troop of boys out of the tall house, back towards the home, past the gate in the earthworks, and on westward, where the road ran along the dike above the meadow Estrella had admired earlier. They left the rampart around the home behind them, with the meadow on their right and tide water on their left. In a few hundred paces they crossed over a dam. About a man's height below them a stream broadened into a little lake held back from the sea by the earthwork on which they walked. On their left the stream ran in a ragged waterfall over stones into sea water at the head of the bay. Estrella noticed that seaweed and sticks were stranded at a high tide mark higher than where the stream emerged from under the dike. "'What happens at high tide?' he asked Justin. "'Why doesn't the meadow fill up with salt water?' "'If you dug straight down under where you're standing, you'd run into a tunnel for the stream to flow down to the sea. On the seaside is what we call a water-box.' It has a heavy hanging door that only opens outwards to the sea. Low tide, and the fresh water flows as you see it doing now, pushing the door open. High tide, and the sea pushes the door closed. The stream backs up into the little lake you see on the landward side, until the tide turns, and the fresh water pushes it back out again. What happens if the dike fails? Damon asked. The cows would be very unhappy. It took years for the salt to leach out of the meadow so that good grass can grow there. Did you build the dike? Estrella asked. Justin shook his head. It was here from before, but it must have been in awful shape. 
The first families repaired the water-box, and we've kept it working ever since. They left the stream and meadow behind them, and the road curved upwards into the forest. Estrella saw the remains of tracks leading uphill past moss-covered stumps of big trees cut many years before. The first families just cut away at the forest edges, said Justin, as he strode along the rutted road. So every year they had to go further. Not a good strategy. Now we take trees systematically, so that we get our wood and keep the forest at the same time. We do the same thing, said Estrella. I wish I could say the same thing about the farm where I grew up, said Damon. But my uncle whacks away at trees as if he hated them. He says he's making new fields. Fields of stumps. Eventually they rounded a bend, and Estrella saw a fresh track running uphill into the forest. On either side of the road the dead leaves of late summer had been scuffed away, and the undergrowths were squashed and torn where logs had been hauled into piles beside the road. A wooden box big enough to hold a man stood by the road covered with a tarpaulin. The boys pulled off the cover, opened the lid, and took out axes, saws, and chains that Estrella recognized as similar to those he had used with Jeb's horse Sally months earlier. As if in answer to the question he was about to ask, he heard the steady clop of horses' hooves coming up the road behind him. He turned and saw a pair of huge brown-and-white horses, much larger than Jeb's pair. As they came closer, he heard wheels rumbling and squealing on the cart they were drawing. "'Whoa!' Estrella heard Lindy's voice before she jumped down from the cart and ducked under the huge horses' heads. He took a step towards her, and then stopped, as if frozen, when she walked swiftly towards her uncle. He stood, memorizing the way she looked at Justin, with her head tipped slightly to one side, so that her fair hair fell across one cheek. She wore a loose blouse with long sleeves, belted at the waist above sturdy brown breeks, flared at the ankles. Estrella almost blushed at the memory of drawing her silhouetted against the light at the castle, and at the same time felt a glow of satisfaction that he had accurately caught. What was it Gar had said? Let's see all of her. Hip, thigh, bust, and bottom. Uncle, what in the name of goodness is wrong with that woman? Let me guess. Could you be talking about Janice? Who else? That lathquit just told me that Giant should be castrated. How does she think Lady is going to have a foal if Giant no longer has his equipment? Is she stupid as well as unreasonable? Estrella saw that the huge horse behind her was nodding his head. What brought this on? Giant nearly stepped on her foot, and when she screamed at him, he shoved her with his nose so that she sat down. In a pile of horse dung. Did you laugh? said Justin. No, said Max, coming from behind the second of the horses. But her lips said, serves you right. Did she say anything out loud? I asked Janice politely whether she remembered how long it took, and how much it cost, to talk Angela's man into selling Lady to us, so that— Then she explained how horses do it. Max interrupted. In detail. Estrella saw Lindy's cheeks redden. All the boys giggled. Estrella pressed his lips together to hide a smile and snorted instead. A quick glance told him that nobody was noticing him. She makes a bad enemy, said Justin. She'd make a worse friend, Lindy replied. Remind me, why is she here? Angela brought her when she came back with, with, what was his name? Lou, said Lindy, and we let her stay because she was pregnant. Well, she said she was. But she wasn't, said Max. And then she just sort of took over. You have to be fair, said Justin. Sarah couldn't go on doing everything the way she did when she was younger, and now she can look after the... the... the girls, said Max, who Janice says are so useless she doesn't know why we keep them. She said that of the twins, too, said Mark. I was there. Estrella, whispered Damon carefully at his shoulder, do you know what's going on here? It's about who inherits. Who's going to be in charge next? said Estrella, wrenching his attention away from Lindy. 
It's like the men of the sea, only different, because they have no time for women. Here Janice has no time for men. Apart from... The continuation of the species, said Lindy, a process Janice doesn't seem to have fully grasped. For the first time Lindy and Astraea's eyes met in agreement, each acknowledging the other's analysis. Then the moment passed in silence, and they both looked away. So, Lindy, is he the one? asked Max, pointing at Damon. I saw that one, near drooling over Bronwyn at the judgment, and it can't be the old fellow with the cut face, or the little one in the kitchen, can it? Which one's helping you make a baby? Lindy and I are, Damon began, friends, said Lindy firmly. So you don't have to, said Mark, fight twice in a day, said Jim. Lose twice in a day, said Adam. Max scowled, took a step towards the twins, who stood their ground, snickering. Well, then, as soon as Max and Lindy get the horses turned around, we'll load up the wagon. Justin's tone of voice was like someone cajoling little children, but it deflected the verbal duel among the young men before it blossomed into another fight. Estrella searched for something to say that would keep Lindy near him, but she went to turn the horses around before he could find words. Disappointed, he joined in the task of loading cut logs into the wagon, working with Damon, Justin, and Max, until it held a load that only such enormous horses could move. Then Lindy reached up to take the bridle on Giant's big head, and with Max on top of the load of logs holding the reins, the pair of them leaned into their collars, and the cart started down the hill. Right, said Justin. We're going to have to have a load ready for them when they come back, so we'd better be cutting. And so it went for the rest of the day. Damon and Estrella felled trees and lopped off their branches. The boys took turns pairing with Justin on a long two-person saw. The twins made a game out of piling the waste branches, and they all worked at rolling or carrying the cut-up logs down to the road in time for when the big horses had pulled the wagon back up the hill. There was little talk beyond that which was necessary to work together, even when they stopped for a midday snack. Estrella did not notice the lack of conversation until they all started back down the road at the end of the day. He was walking beside Damon a little way behind the squeaking wheels of the cart. "'Lindy works like a man,' said Damon. "'No chit-chat, no gossip. Was it like that when you were at the castle?' Estrella nodded. "'Not like most girls.' That Eileen, the one Cam sweet on, she doesn't know how to stop. She rattles on like rain on a roof. Now take Bronwyn, for example. That's who you're hunting, is it? Max demanded from behind them. I thought you were on the cart with Lindy, said Damon. Answer my question! I don't see any reason why I should, said Damon, preening his moustache with one hand as the other moved towards his belt. She's my... "'Cousin, Max, first cousin,' said Mark. "'It seems to me,' said Estrella as calmly as he could, "'that it really is none of your business. "'You stay out of this! "'You're both trespassing! "'This is my family, my people! "'You're a foreigner! "'Strangers don't have the right to speak here!' "'The young men stopped walking and confronted each other "'as the cart rumbled on and disappeared around a bend. "'Estrella was suddenly furious, "'his anger triggered by words he had grown up hating.' A small part of his mind tried to impose control, but he could only observe in disbelief as he dropped into the knife-fighter's crouch that Damon had taught him. Damon copied him so quickly that they moved as if controlled by one mind. Max fumbled at his belt, but Damon was faster. His knife appeared like an extension of his arm while Max was still pulling his out of his sheath. Astrea moved so quickly that he did not have time to think, much less stop himself, as his fist locked around Max's knife-wrist and his other hand chopped into his forearm. Before the knife hit the ground, Estrella pulled Max towards him and poised to drive his elbow into his throat. The blow never landed. Damon's shoulder caught Estrella off balance, shoving him sideways so that he fell painfully onto his side. Estrella and Max scrambled to their feet as Damon slid his knife back into his sheath. "'What did you do that for?' Max demanded, picking up his knife. The suddenness of their movements and the speed with which he had found himself on his back had driven the fight out of him. "'Because he was going to kill you,' said Damon. 
I can handle the two of you,' said Bram, Max, his breathing short and shallow. Again, Astraea and Damon answered at the same time, and with the same dismissive tone. "'Against Astraea? Not a chance. Against Damon? Don't be ridiculous. That's enough!' Justin's voice made all three turn. "'Would you have... if I hadn't?' Astraea asked Damon in a whisper. "'If I hadn't, would you have?' Damon asked at almost the same moment. "'Damon, join Lindy in the cart.' said Dustin. You younger boys get walking. Max, you will walk on my left, and you, Astreo, on my right, and we will return to the home calmly. With the younger boys whispering together a few paces ahead of them, they went down the road in silence. Astreo walked as if in a trance. He was appalled at what he'd been about to do. Far from merely immobilizing Max, he'd been about to deliver a disabling, possibly killing blow to the throat, and what was more, he had known what he was doing. His anger had vanished as quickly as it had taken control of him, but at the time he had simply exploded into action. Now that it was over, he was certain that Damon had stopped him from killing Max, who, although irritating, had not earned such a fate. His conclusion blended with the memory that he'd not been able to strike the final blow at Mufred, who richly deserved it. The mismatch between the two events preyed on his mind as he walked, head down, beside Justin. As they crossed the dam, Justin held Astraea and Max by the sleeve and turned them to face him. You two have made your own and everyone else's life much more difficult than it already was. You'd better hope the word doesn't get around. I will try to persuade the boys not to talk. You may not like each other, but you must behave peacefully. Whatever you may be feeling, do not, I beg you, let it show. Now walk together like friends, while I speak to Lindy and Damon. Estrella heard trepidation in Justin's command. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, he said to Max, his words sounding wholly inadequate. To his surprise, Max looked at him in admiration, and began to talk so quickly that he was almost gabbling. The two of you, you're, you're so quick, you don't hang back, do you? It, it wasn't a game, like before, was it? Estrella shook his head. No, he said, it's not a game. It was a silent group of young people who entered the fortifications around the home. The men unloaded the cart. Estrella looked for a chance to speak with Lindy. But before the young men had stacked the wood from the wagon, she had unhitched the two huge horses and was leading them away, her hair swinging from side to side as she walked between them, her hands higher than her head to reach their halters. He stared after her, wanting to beg her not to condemn him for what he had done. Justin waved them to an outdoor pump where the twins were already washing, and when they were done, Lindy had disappeared. Damp-headed and refreshed, they all went inside together for their evening meal at the men's table, where Aneb was already seated. There was a significant absence of conversation over the meal, despite Cam's flourish of enthusiastic comments about the food. The twins muttered to each other in some private language that only they understood, and the others confined their comments to unusually polite requests and thanks. Aneb, after his inquiring glance at Justin yielded no response, regarded them all speculatively. The shadows had deepened in the lee of the earthworks and were climbing the white walls of the home when Astraea and Damon walked to the cottage they had been assigned. Astraea and Damon fell into step. Cam ran up behind them, glanced about to see if anyone was within earshot, and pushed between the two of them. Right. Give. Now. What happened? We're not supposed to tell anyone, began Damon. Is my name anyone? Talk. Damon and Estrella took turns giving an account of the face-off and its consequences, each carefully acknowledging that the other had averted what might have been serious injury to Max. So, you couldn't keep your hand off your knife, Damon, and you, Estrella, finally lost your temper. Am I right? They nodded as they walked into the deep shadows beside the cottage door, each knowing that the other was resisting a strong desire to justify, explain, and excuse. "'Well, then,' said Cam, "'come on in, let's light a candle, 
and drink this here cider that I just happen to have under me jacket. You go on in, said Estrella. I want to. Sure, Estrella, but come on in before we've drunk it all. It's rare good old stuff. Eileen told me Lindy made it near two years gone. Estrella was glad of the darkness that hid his expression when Cam mentioned Lindy. He sat down on a wooden bench near the door, and soon yellow light slanted out the window onto the grass at his feet. He tried to make sense of the day, but instead sank into a gloom in which the present was painful, the future uncertain, and the past filled with grief. He was watching the first stars rise in the east, when Arneb came from behind the home, his footsteps barely audible. Estrella lifted his head and their eyes met. What really went on today, Estrella? Max thought he was defending his cousin's honour, I suppose. He drew a knife on Damon. Or rather, he tried to, but Damon came up far ahead of him. Max, the poor fool, went for him anyway, with his knife in his fist, held all wrong as if he was going to stick it into the ground. I thought... I didn't think. I didn't want Damon to kill Max, but then I was closer to Max, so I could deal with him instead. And then, when I was moving, I... I went too far. At least I might have. Once I was moving, I was going to, to... to kill Max if I could. But Damon hit me sideways, and I joined Max on the ground. And then Justin turned up and calmed everyone down. Not that we needed it. We were all staring at each other, looking stupid, wondering what had happened. Well, then, hmm, that's a version I hadn't heard. What do you mean? asked Estrella, looking up at Arneb as he stood silhouetted against the stars. I mean that the home is humming with gossip, no two stories the same. Max attacked you, you attacked Max. You fought with Damon, Damon attacked Max. Max is jealous of his cousin, Damon is jealous of you and Bronwyn. Damon is jealous of me and Bronwyn? Well, you did spend some time staring at her during the meeting in the hall. So did Damon. Exactly. Anyone could see he's fallen for her. She's a tease. She's making trouble. And she's enjoying every instant of it. She came past this morning after you'd gone off with Cat. Walked right past Damon, left him with his mouth open. Just like she did to you at the meeting. Estrella wondered whether Arneb was mocking him and Damon, but there was nothing in his clipped account that suggested he was amused. And I was trying to imagine how I would draw her, said Estrella a little defensively. Draw her, Arneb repeated. Yes, she's always moving. Bits of her kind of playing peekaboo with her clothes. Provocative, I suppose. Damon doesn't just suppose. He's hooked. Others noticed. Makes them think you two are at odds over Bronwyn. That doesn't make any sense to me. Makes good sense. Could even be true. Damon, taken with Bronwyn like a fever. Max faces him. He draws. You step in because you're a part of it. It's a snake pit of jealousy. I stopped Damon from killing Max, and then he stopped me. You know that. I believe you. But they don't know either of you. Makes sense to them that you'd fight. Mistreya said nothing. Arneb's analysis was uncomfortably persuasive, but he still wanted to insist that it was wrong. You were angry, Estrella. But I was angry at Max, and that doesn't make any sense at all. Anger doesn't make sense. It just is. He'd taken a run at me earlier in the day, and I'd sidestepped. He was no threat to me. I wanted to save him from his own stupidity. He's little more than a boy, but Damon is a fighter. He's killed. You misunderstand, Estrella. You weren't angry at him. You were consumed by anger at everything, and the moment took charge. Estrella stared at Arneb, first rejecting his explanation, and then gradually coming to the conclusion that he was at least partly right. But why did I try to take it out on Max? Because he was there. He's Lindy's cousin because he and Damon had stirred each other up, and in the process you as well. The door opened behind them, casting a wedge of light on the ground in front of the cottage, 
in the centre of which was Damon's shadow. We all went a bit crazy, said Damon. You thought I was going to kill Bronwyn's cousin. I thought you were going to do the job for me. We both overreacted. Cam pushed Damon out of the way and joined in the discussion. Of course, Estrella just might be interested in Bronwyn. I'm something a bit more personal than the art stuff. She's very graceful, but no, I'm not in love with her, or anyone, said Estrella. Anyone? Arnib echoed, raising one eyebrow. She's fascinating, said Damon. She's, she's like wind in the trees, he said, waving his hands distractedly. She moves, and all I want to do is— Oh, we can guess, Damon. Spare us the intimate details, said Cam. No, no, it's not like that. It's not like anything I've ever— So— "'So she's the first girl that ever put the wind in your sails, right?' said Cam. "'No, she's not. And you know that, Cam. But she's the first one who's ever made me feel this way.' "'What about Eva?' Estrella asked. "'Oh, she was something special, all right, but she betrayed me as soon as she thought she was on to something better.' "'Betrayed,' Estrella murmured. "'That's the word that cuts, isn't it, Estrella?' said Arneb. Estrella turned his face away. He felt that again he'd been abandoned, by the Molly, by the members of his family, old and new, who had died or turned against him. "'Are you all right, Estrella?' Damon asked. "'He's fallen into a whole lot of grief, Damon. Think about what he's lost. His ma, his uncle, his grandfather, his great-aunt. And as if that weren't enough, his skipper abandoned him twice. And then there's his twisted uncle what was looking to kill him and two cousins wanting him dead, and Walt willing to do it for them. Well, both my parents died when I was young, and— Tie a knot in it, Damon. That's old stuff, and you're through the worst of it. Estrella's still dealing with a whole lot more, and all of it falling in on his head at the same time. I'm fine, said Estrella, embarrassed at being talked about to his face. I'm trying to get my head around why I should have lost control. It's not as if Max was a threat. It's not the big things that send us over the edge, said Arneb. You don't understand, Arneb. You're so calm, even when you told us that Mufrid murdered your friends and family. All three of them saw Arneb's body compact, as if all his muscles had tightened at the same moment. We will not speak of that. His voice was smooth as ice over deep water. There was a long silence, finally broken by Cam. "'Well, now, if you people are going to stand here in the doorway, talking about all the things what's gone wrong recent-like, you can do it without me. I'm going to bed. Help yourself to what's left of Lindy's cider.' "'Good idea,' said Damon. "'Come on in, Estrella.' "'No, thank you.' "'Come in, Estrella,' said Arneb, his voice once again neutral. I never drink alone, and Damon's going to bed. I am? Damon asked, and then looked into Arneb's eyes. Oh, right, yes, I am. Estrella followed Arneb into the little cottage, where they sat on opposite sides of the table, with the candle, two earthenware cups, and a bottle of cider between them. In the darkness behind them they could hear two sources of slow, steady breathing, each with a different kind of snore. The whistle is Cam, said Estrella, which means that the grunt is Damon. In the shadowy light from the candle, Estrella saw that one side of Arneb's face was puckered into half a smile. How does your face feel? Smarts when I laugh. You seem to have learned how to smile on the good side. Make do with what you've got. Arneb poured golden liquid into two cups and they drank. Lindy makes good cider. Estrella opened his mouth to talk about many other things that Lindy could do. Cook, manage horses, make paint in many shades and colours, drink men under the table. But all he could think of was the shape of her face by starlight. Cam was talking for you, Estrella. Things you should put into words. Estrella thought of nothing for a moment, and then began to speak with no plan— hearing his own words as he spoke them. 
It's as if he was talking about someone else, not me. Since I left the village, I've had to keep changing, becoming first one thing and then another. I've been a farmer, a painter, a sailor, a navigator of sorts, but not one of these feel like me. He almost added, except the painter, and then fell silent, wondering why he had not said the words out loud. Yes, said Anyab in a tone that asked for more. I've been soaking up so much that I haven't room for it all. No, that's not quite true. I've got a lot of room in my mind, but in the shape of holes where people used to be. Good people. Three of them, anyway. Alana, Gar, Miesa. None of them betrayed you. Estrella sipped at his cup of cider and thought of those who had, naming them in his mind. Yan, Eva, Jeb, Carl, Oron, Adramin, Walt. And then he paused. Walt had also saved him, in a curious way. What are these with you? Damon, Cam. Walt, too, I suppose. And you, Arneb. What about Lindy? She's... It's different with her. It's my fault. I don't want to talk about it. They both sipped their drinks in silence. Then listen. I talked with Justin, confirmed what I suspected. It's an article of faith here that men cause violence, and as if to confirm their beliefs, in less than a week we've brought them a whole lot of fighting. What do you mean a whole lot? There were two fights, maybe. One of them a person fell over, and in the other two did. No blood. Well, maybe a nosebleed. Nobody dead, anyway. Arneb gave a small snort that might have been laughter. No argument, just saying what they believe. Are you telling me we should leave? Funny, that's what I asked Justin. So what did he say? First he said, no, then, not yet, and then, maybe. Then when? I mean, if he's waiting for someone to get pregnant, it's not going to happen. Certainly not by me, and I doubt Cam's feeling that way about Eileen. She's old enough to be his aunt. And if you're thinking of Damon and Bronwyn, she's having nothing of him. So far, I take your point. Made it to Justin. He told me wait for the equinox. Big celebration. Get to meet people. Arneb was talking in short bursts, which Estrella attributed to discomfort with the situation. Come to think of it, where are they all? There were dozens looking us over when we first arrived. Since then, apart from Cat and the two women in the kitchen, nobody but essential and mature personnel planned that way. Probably by Janice, maybe Sarah, to keep the girls and young women away from danger. Danger? We're not. Unfortunately, today you prove to them that you are. So why don't they throw us out? First, that's not their way. Next, they want what the young men have to offer. You mean... Not just babies. They need men here, or Justin and the boys would be long gone. So we're somehow acceptable at the equinox celebration? Arneb nodded. Not consistent. This kind of thing never is. Maybe they're relying on safety in numbers. How many of them are there? You saw the hall when we arrived, and there are more people of both genders in the outlying farms where they've sent the girls, to help with the harvest, I'm told. You make it sound as if the four of us should stick together for safety, said Estrella only half seriously. Could be. You never know what scared people will do. Scared? What are they scared of? Us. We're men. They tossed out the first fathers the men of many wives. Thanks to luck and rumours, nobody came to take over the place. They were left alone, until most of their young men and boys were taken from them in one wild night about a dozen years ago. Tell me, if you were a woman, wouldn't you be scared? I'd be making plans of how to defend just a minute. That's what Justin has been doing. Right, so would I. Trouble is, some fear violence so much that they might decide to reenact some of their history with us standing in for the Founding Fathers. This time led by Janice, Arneb nodded. Not Lindy. 
I doubt Cat or Sarah would. Estrella did not finish, because he did not know where his thinking was taking him. Arnib nodded again. There was a long pause. Maybe we'll find out a bit more at the celebration, said Arnib. He finished his cider and tipped the bottle over Estrella's cup. When nothing came out, he shrugged. Time for bed. Estrella nodded. A short while later, Arneb blew out the candle, and Estrella stared at the darkness. For the first time, in what seemed like forever, he found that despite all the things that had, and that could go wrong, he was curious about what would happen next. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Astrea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.